Uh, Mark chapter 1, uh, going to look at uh, the first 15 verses of this gospel. Uh, some say that it's actually Peter's gospel. Uh, no doubt there's um, Peter's influence there. The writer here, uh, his, we would refer to him according to the New Testament as John Mark. And um, one of the uh, synoptic gospels. So chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And as it is written in the prophets, behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. So John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission or forgiveness of sins. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locust and wild honey. And he preached, saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness forty days, and tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beast. And the angels ministered to him. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, rather, is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for the gospel. And we pray once again as we study, as we look at it, that, Lord, it would invigorate our hearts. Lord, uh, we pray that as a gospel this morning, Lord, would be preached, Lord, not only in our own nation, but around this world. We pray that souls would be awakened. Lord, lives would be drawn to you. Lord, we're grateful, thankful for what you have done, Lord, through the gospel this gospel that has transformed and changed our lives. And Lord, over history, we see how it's impacted communities and nations. And Father, we think of our own nation today. Lord, we're in dire need. Lord, there was once a, a time within this nation, Lord, uh, where a large percentage of people were in, in attendance at church on a Sunday morning. But Lord, those things have so changed. And Lord, uh, we see... We see the result of that, Father, as we look around our culture. Lord, we see the unbelief. Lord, we see the hatred. We see the violence. And Lord, we pray this morning that many souls would be drawn into your kingdom. Lord, we're thankful that you have come, uh, Lord, to this earth. Lord, you have given us this good news. Lord, you've gone to the cross. Lord, you've paid for our sin debt. And you have raised yourself, Lord, from the grave. And we thank you for that resurrection power that you now, Lord, impart and give 
to any and all who call upon your name. So, Lord, I thank you for those that are here this morning. And how I pray, Father, that, uh, Lord, you'd take your word once again. Lord, breathe it, we pray. Uh, breathe it, with, uh, Lord, into our hearts, into our lives. Illuminate our minds. Lord, help us, we pray, Lord, to live more effectively for you. And, Lord, we ask these things. We praise you and thank you. And we, we ask them in Jesus' name. Amen. We uh, entitled our message this morning, The Real Good News, because that's what the gospel is. Uh, have you ever noticed sometimes after you watch the news, the nightly news, you're somewhat depressed? Uh, you know, they put a, a little human interest story, they tag it onto the end. Somehow after you've been depressed for, the, you know, for those first 25 minutes, hopefully you're going to get cheered up from it. But it's really only the good news. It's only the good news as it comes into your life. We receive it by faith. Is it is really, you know, the, the news that's transformational. You know, it changes us. It, 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 uh, it alters not only our present condition, our situation, but also, too, uh, it impacts our future. Now, as we come here to the Gospel of Mark, uh, it's one of the, what we call the synoptic Gospels. Uh, we have three Gospels. They're greatly similar. Uh, then we have the Gospel of John, which is not a synoptic Gospel, uh, which John's Gospel primarily covers uh, the last, very last part of the ministry of Jesus. But as we look at these Gospels, and particularly here Mark, uh, Matthew uh, is one that is written primarily for the Jew. They all emphasize something a little bit different. Um, we find that the, uh, the, the Matthew's Gospel has so rich with Old Testament quotations and so forth, and it's really designed to minister particularly to the Jewish mind. Uh, you know, the Gospel of Luke is basically, uh, Luke the doctor writes that, it's, uh, uh, and you can see the humanity of Jesus there. Uh, reaching out, you know, he's the great physician, he cares, he's got compassion, you know, he's healing uh, the multitudes. Uh, and then we have Mark here, and, and Mark here, we find the emphasis there is on, this, on the, uh, Jesus as our servant. Uh, he's the consummate servant. Uh, Isaiah um, uh, indicates that he is my servant. We find that kind of reference a number of times in uh, Isaiah's uh, prophecy there. Uh, and what we find here in this gospel are the actions of a servant. We find that uh, he is quick to obey. Uh, we find that when the father calls him to do something, he's quickly moving out, ministering, one situation after another. And so uh, also, too, we find that the word immediately or straight away, depending on your translation, is over 40 times in this particular gospel. Uh, so again, we see the Lord on the move. We see him ministering. We see him obeying. Uh, and, and, and as he lives his life out, uh, he, he, again, he's really the consummate servant, servant. And that's one thing, in a sense, we all have in com common, don't we? That he has called us to be a servant, uh, to represent the Father, um, to lay our lives aside, you know, uh, to make sure that God is really the priority, you know, of our lives. Sometimes it takes a long time, you know, for us to really kind of connect the dots on that and to realize that he has called me to lay down my interests. Uh, to be a servant, and we find that that's really where the fulfillment is, you know, in our lives as a Christian, where we simply are laying our lives down, serving other people, ministering to them, simply being an expression, an instrument. Uh, God has not called us to be reservoirs. He's called us to be conduits uh, through which he might move and through which he might work, and we see here Mark is, uh, we find the perfect representation of that, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And now, as we come to this one uh, uh, synoptic gospel, we find it's a little different than Matthew and Luke. It has no record of his birth. Uh, we get no genealogy like we get early on in Matthew, also in 
uh, the book of Luke. Uh, but all we get here is basically a, a beginning, and it's a new beginning. Um, and we find that, you know, that's so typical of when we come to Christ, that he gives us a, new, a fresh start, he gives us a new beginning. Uh, over, even over in the Old Testament, uh, looking, f- or excuse me, yes, uh, looking forward to the New Testament and what Christ would do, he says, behold, I make all things new. And maybe perhaps even as we just maybe suggest this, uh, as we open up this particular gospel, uh, that maybe you're saying, well, you know what, I need a new beginning. And I find that, you know, sometimes we hear this uh, expression that he's the God of the second chance. Well, yeah, he is. He's the God of the fifth, the tenth, the twentieth, the 40th, the 50th chance. Um, One thing I find myself praying quite often, Lord, give me a new beginning. And, and particularly if we find ourselves maybe at a, at a chapter of life where, we're, where there's a setback, uh, where there's you know, fail, failure, moral failure, uh, personal struggle, spiritual warfare, those kind of things that go on within our, our experience. We need to be praying that, Lord, I need a new beginning. Lord, I want to get, get fresh with you. You know, when we think about our, new, our brand new experience with Christ, how many years that was ago for you. Um, that there was just a joy, excitement, looking forward to what God would do. Well, he can give you that again. He can make things wonderfully fresh and wonderfully new within your particular experience. Uh, I like what um, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.17. It's always been um, you know, a, a, just a, a great verse of Scripture that's kind of reminded me that if anyone is in Christ, that he's a new creation. Uh, behold, you know, Old things are passed away, and all things become new. And I love that uh, in Christ, because sometimes those old things have a way of sort of resurfacing. Uh, but he reminds us that we're new creations in him. And the, he has, he's a God who has something you know, fresh and new for us. I was speaking uh, by way of message to my old platoon commander from Vietnam. And we were just discussing the fact that, and he's a Christian, and so I have good fellowship with him. And uh, we're oftentimes sending messages and different articles back and forth. And uh, it was just unbelievable to think about how, you know, that event for us was 50 years ago. And we were both talking about how good and gracious God has been to us over these years. Uh, He knew the Lord at the time in Vietnam. I didn't. And I imagine, you know, I was one of his squad leaders, so I imagine he was praying for this, you know, this this young guy that uh, um, had a pretty rough mouth and... uh, yeah, I think it would surprise us if we found out who, along the way, before we came to Christ, who was praying for us. You know, some Christians saw us and thought, you know, wow, that person, I really need Christ, you know, kind of a thing. I think a lot of people, maybe, no doubt, thought that about me, uh, and I'm glad for their prayers. And, uh, but just, again, thinking, I was, we were reflecting on what God has done in these last 50 years. And I kind of wonder, I don't know, I don't know um, but it's been, I think about all the new beginnings, the fresh starts. Uh, the, the, the doors that God has opened up, and what a wonderful Savior that we have uh, to be so concerned, you know, for our individual lives. As we said before, he never treats us like a herd. Yes, we're called sheep. Uh, we're a flock. But uh, his, his work in our life is so personal, so intimate, and so incredibly individual, because you're a unique individual. You are, you are wonderfully unique, your unique creation, you know, of the Father, and he has a unique purpose, you know, for each one of our lives. And uh, the, the, the sooner we find that out uh, is a result of our committing our life to him. Turn your life over to Jesus. 
Uh, that was the one thing I said at 25 years old because it took that long for me to come to Christ. I really didn't have any Christian witness around my life until that point in my life. But one of the things I said right, right when I was 25 was, oh, I wish I came to Christ years before, 15, 10, like my little uh, grandson uh, just uh, this week, Tuesday this week, he gave his heart to Christ. Uh, I'm sorry, Tuesday of last week, he gave his heart to Christ. And it was real. It was a real deal. And, um, and I've got a chance to talk to him a couple times since he did that. And he brings it up right away. He brings up the Lord right away. So I know, man. You know, and it's like a lot of times we speak to 10-year-old kids and we talk to them about Christ. We don't always expect. Well, they're too young, you know. But, but no. You know, the Lord wonderfully is at work, you know, within, um, you know, so many situations around us. Now, in verse 2, uh, he, he takes us back here uh, to the Old Testament and uh, gives us the first witness here of Scripture. That's why the, the, the entire Old Testament is very important. It all speaks. It all is a sign, if you will, pointing forward to Jesus Christ. Uh, but as uh, uh, Mark here cobbles together verses 2 and 3, he actually borrows two Old Testament uh, references there, Matthew, excuse me, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, and Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. But I really like, as I compared the two uh, re- Old Testament references, I really like Ma- uh, Malachi, and I'll read it to you. You don't have to turn there, but it's chapter 3, verse 1, if you want to write it down. Uh, Malachi says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Now, the me there is, is the Lord. The messenger is John the Baptist. And, the, and notice what he says here. He's saying here to his Old Testament people, people that had the Bible, they had the Scriptures, they were anticipating and waiting for Messiah, the Christ, to come. And he says this to them. He says, The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord. And how interesting that Christ came and they didn't connect the dots. And this is the very last the last Old Testament book before Jesus came that he was telling them, I'm coming and I'm going to come to the temple. But he comes to the temple in sandal leather, okay? He comes, as a, he comes you know, as a prophet. He comes, he come, he's coming as Messiah, but they don't, they don't connect that. They don't understand it. And, and what I think is important here, because the same mistake, and you know, you know sometimes if you... you um, read certain Bible passages, and you said, you know, after you read that, and you saw how, how maybe somebody handled it, and they said, well, you said to yourself, I'd never, I'd never do that. I'd never do that. And I think sometimes we, for, we, we don't realize that we can make the same mistake as God's Old Testament people did. I think there's a lot of people in the church that make the mistake. And, and here's the question. Does the Jesus you think he is, does he really measure up with the Bible? I think there's a lot of times that uh, we have a certain concept of Jesus, a certain understanding of Jesus. And you know something? As you grow in Christ, that's going to change. You're going to become more intimate with him. You're going to get more insight as the Holy Spirit reveals things to you in the Scripture. And what does the Holy Spirit do? He's always pointing to Jesus. And so we're going to grow in our, in our understanding. So be very careful uh, that you don't just plateau, you know, with, your, uh, your, with a certain understanding of Jesus. I mean, there's a lot of folks out there that think that, you know, Jesus is such love. He would never say anything harsh to anyone. But remember that Jesus of the Gospels is perfect love. 
He's perfect love. And, and it's important, again, we balance love with truth. Very, very important. Uh, there, there are people who think, you know what, God, take that verse out of 1 John, God is love. Well, does that mean, because many people think, well, God is love, he would never send anyone to hell. Well, why, did he cre- why, did, why was hell even created? Well, it was created for the devil and his angels, but also created for those who will rebel against the true and the living God. And so there's some people who think, well, you know, the God of, you know, my vision, my version of God and who God is, but really, does it measure up with the Bible? Because the Bible is the final word. And it's important that we read the Bible because the Holy Spirit will give us insight. And even those who were, who were the caretakers of the Scriptures when Christ came, these are the same people that put him on a cross. They rejected him. And we have to be very careful that we don't reject. Um, I was talking to somebody between services, and uh, they came up to me, and they said they had a friend. They were talking about Jeremiah 17.9. And... Uh, Jeremiah 79 is the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Now, the human heart, desperately wicked and deceitful. Who would know it? So these two Christians are talking, and the one, as our friend uh, was, was mentioning that scripture, the other person said, well, that's not for today. Oh, really? And I think sometimes there's a, there's a lot of folks like that in Christianity that they think that, you know, their, their particular version of the Bible, and, and they're going to live by that. And I think sometimes I wonder what, kind of, what Bible they're reading, or that maybe they're not reading the Bible at all. But that's why it's important um, that we go to the Bible, that we go to the Scripture, and, uh, and God will, will wonderfully enlarge our picture, our understanding of Jesus and, and who God, you know, truly is. Uh, so behold, I send, we're back here in, in Mark 1, verse 2. Behold, I send my messenger before your face and will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. Do you ever feel like sometimes you were the only one, like you're the voice in the wilderness? Or maybe you're the only person in your family. You're the only person in your uh, workplace or in your community that knows the Lord. Listen, be faithful. Be a voice. Be a voice for God. I think sometimes we oftentimes feel like we're alone. I know when I got saved and for a long, long, long time, I, I, I can't remember anybody, you know, um, in the older generations of my family or anybody in the present generations of my family that knew Christ. And God had called me at that time, obviously, to be a voice. They're all, they're all gone now. They're all gone. But they all had an opportunity. You know, they watched our lives. They heard the message of our lives. And that Jesus Christ will, will, will change you, transform you. He will work in your heart. He will wonderfully save you. It's a funny thing how, you know, the human heart can be so blind when you talk to people about, you know, well, you know, uh, you can give your life to Christ and be saved. Well, be saved from what? And, and as you look around this world, it's like, man, there's a whole lot to be saved from. But that's the human heart. There's a blindness. There's a certain blindness there uh, that, again, God working by His Spirit can cut through that in truth. The Holy Spirit can take truth, and He can take it right to the heart and right to the life. That's why we need to be truth-tellers, truth right? 
We need to speak the truth. We need to speak it in love. We need to make sure we have the right tone when we speak the truth, but we need to make sure that we're not so loving as we think in our mind we're not going to speak the truth. No, the truth will speak love, you know, into the heart and need of the particular person. Now, in verse 4, we're going to meet uh, one of the greatest prophets, the greatest prophet, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, the greatest prophet among men, and he's speaking here about John um, the Baptist. John came preaching in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. I thought it was kind of interesting because when you, sometimes, when you oftentimes look at a work of God and what God is doing you know, in any particular situation, you wonder, wow, what a, what a strange setting for God to work in that particular place. And when you think about there have been attempts to start movements, you know, within the last, you know, maybe 40, 50 years, there have been attempts by people who take demographic studies um, and they think, you know, this is where a church is needed. This is, this is where we're going to try to plant the church and whatever. But here, when you look at John and you look at the gospel, John is starting out in the desert. I mean, that's not a place where you want to really get a movement going, is it? You know, out there in the bleak, you know, dusty desert there, it's barren and so forth. But how interesting it is that when God is in it, he blesses it. And he moves, he moves the entire you know, population roughly of Judea and Jerusalem out there to be baptized by John you know, in that particular uh, scenario. But here's John's message. It's a message of what? Repentance. We all know that's not a popular message. People scoff at that, right? You know, what do you do? What are you telling me I need to change? That, that's basically what repentance means, right? It's the Greek word metanoia. But it's interesting, you know, God goes before us. And many of us, when the gospel came to our life and we heard it, we have already been perhaps maybe been anticipating, I need some change in my life. I was thinking that. I was thinking that um, when the gospel came into my life back in 1975, I was, you know, I was just thinking, I need change. Now, when the gospel came to you, I think, I don't need that change. Come on, forget it, okay? I don't need religion. That's the last thing that anybody thinks they need. But what we need is the relationship with our creator, with our God. And this is, you know, the, the first word of the gospel is what? Repent. Not very popular. Not going to win friends and, and, and influence people. Uh, with that. But you know, when you look at our society today, we're in deep trouble. We're in very, very deep trouble. You know, we think economically uh, there's some economic vibrancy going on. Folks, we're about $21 trillion in debt. That's a debt that we can never repay. When you look at the morality of America today, somebody was just telling me in prayer, that um, they heard a, a statement that came out of the Australian government that when the that this this statesman in Australia when they heard that the New York State Assembly cheered. When, the, when that radical abortion bill was passed, 
they were so incredibly encouraged by that. It's kind of shame on us for the state, isn't it? Our country's in a mess. And we need to be available. God wants to use the church. As inadequate as maybe we feel, we are the answer. In a matter of speaking, we're an answer. Because we have the gospel, we're saved. We're to be evangelists. We're to be reaching out with the good news because there's a lot of bad news. I mean, look, look, look at what happened just, what, in the last 10 days? Three major shootings. And if that wasn't enough, a couple of guys go crazy with knives, stabbing people. And, and if we took away the guns, we would, have ma- we would have mass stabbings. Our people would be taking, running, you know, cars into crowds are making, like Oklahoma City, a fertilizer bomb. Did you see what that did to that building? That was a fertilizer bomb. (laughs) If people want to perpetrate evil, man, I'll tell you, the human heart can be so creative. But may God help us to be creative in getting the good news out and telling people. Again, people don't want to, you know, they don't want to hear the word of the gospel, repent. But we need to change. We need to change as a nation. And each one of us that have come to Christ, we've discovered that. We realize what that, you know, the impact. And again, it's not a political solution for our nation. It's a spiritual solution. And I was praying this morning, I said, Lord, wouldn't it be incredible if in every, every instance this, this day where the gospel is preached, throughout our nation, if one person in each one of those situations would come to Christ. It'd be tens of thousands of people. And I'm sure the Lord is working. I'm sure the Lord is saving people. And so they all go out to John confessing their sins. And that's the thing. Without repentance, there's no forgiveness. no forgiveness. That, that's the great need of our society, of our culture today. Be forgiven. To turn. To turn from those things that are destructive, you know, within our lives. You know, the, again, God has the antidote, doesn't he? He has the answer. He has the antidote to the things that are plaguing our society and our culture. Now, in, in verses 6, we get a short profile of John. John was clothed with camel's hair. Um, which is not a big shaggy, you know, sometimes we've seen a, a skin with all this shaggy camel hair on it. It's actually camel hair, it's taken, it's weaved into a garment. And, and I would imagine that had to be, a, if you ever wear wool or camel hair, it's very, very, very itchy. And um, maybe it just, I don't know, maybe that just kept John praying or something, I don't know. But um, a leather belt around his waist and he ate locust and wild honey. So again, he sounds very eccentric, doesn't he? When we look at John here, uh, wearing kind of burlap kind of clothing, uh, all cinched together with a leather strap and eating bugs. Uh, After a first service, um, Ruth Ortega came up to me 
And she said, you know, when I was in Africa, we ate bugs. And uh, they're locusts. And uh, they still do this in, in, in certain parts of the Middle East. And uh, so we were talking to her. We were, she was describing to us that they actually roast them. And uh, you can put different kind of, you know, well, I guess, you know, honey roasted. Honey roasted, you know, locust. Uh, or something, you know, maybe, maybe like cayenne pepper on it or something like that. Uh, and she was saying, yeah, you put it in your mouth. They're real crunchy. And they're very tasty. And they're full of protein. So... Um, there's John for you. Praise the Lord. But one of the things that you see about that, he, he didn't care to impress people. That, that's, I think, the thing. He wasn't caring about impressing people because the most important thing to John was, you know what? Pleasing the Lord. That's the bottom line, isn't it? Not about pleasing ourselves. And, you know, when you think about John, his ministry, not even a year and a half. And he had the most important ministry of any Old Testament individual to who? To introduce the Messiah to his people. Here he is. <laughs> his ministry was not much more than a year and a half. Incredible when you think about it in that, in that sense. And he preached saying, there comes one who's mightier than I whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. And that was something a slave did. Uh, if you were uh, somewhat melth, uh, wealthy, maybe middle class, uh, upper middle class, you would go into your house and there would be a, you would have a household slave, um, sort of on the form of an indentured kind of a servant. He would, wash your, he would take your sandals off. He would wash your feet. And, and what I see here, you know, in the life of John the Baptist, and I think one of the things that made him great, humble guy. Let me, let me ask you this. Um, has there been any incidents or any things going on in your life lately that have just sort of humbled you? And I don't know about you, but I hate being humbled because I already think I'm humble. <laughs> so when I get humbled, I don't think I need it. But God knows what I need. He knows I'm not humble. You know, Jesus said this in, in Matthew eleven twenty nine. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly, and you will find rest for your souls. So there's a rest and a peace that, that comes into our life, and John had that. There was a humility there. I think, again, I think it was one of the components of greatness in the life of this man. I was just recently reading this little story, and... Uh, it's called learning humility. And remember, Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty nine, learn of me. So it's a learning process. Sometimes, you know, you just wish you had to learn at one time. <laughs> uh, but that's not the case. There's many things that we learn over and over and over again. And this gal's name is Carol Danzig. Um, she has um, this condition called Lou Gehrig's disease, which is ALS. And we know that that's uh, a very aggressive kind of condition. And so uh, the little piece says, well, my friend, Carol Danzig, she was a Phi Beta Kappa from Stanford University, the wife of a doctor, a mother of four gifted children. But Carol was also given a thorn in the flesh, and that was Lou Gehrig's disease. She became a quadriplegic. 
endured the slow deterioration and loss of all her muscles. She typed the following words on a computer by clicking a sensor with her mouth, her teeth. And she said this, When I want something, frequently nobody understands. When I know how to do something better, it doesn't matter. When I don't want to do something, I'm overruled. I cry and then I remember the Lord's words to Peter. That when you are, that when you are old, someone will lead you there by the hand someplace where you did not want to go. She goes on saying this, when I enter a room full of people, and, and Sunday services, for example, I always send up a quick prayer, please, Lord, don't let me drool. But the answer is always the same, I drool. And finally this morning, I could not stand it anymore. And I said, Lord, people will think that I have lost my mind as well as my body. They will pat me on the head and talk to me as if I was two years old. And Jesus answered me, And how do you think people talk to a two-year-old? With, with nothing but love and concern and with joy. That's not so bad. But I replied, They will talk to me in words that are one or two syllables and short sentences. And once again, Jesus said to me, You mean like blessed are the poor in spirit? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So I say, oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the reminder. My drooling is to help me, or is to help make me humble. I, I appreciate that little piece. Because you have to understand what it's like, and I've known a couple of people I'm ministering presently to someone who has Lou Gehrig's. And it's a very quickly aggressive disease. Many of you know, uh, remember Joe Vinci was here with this a young man um, just a few years ago and uh, he contracted it and he was gone within two years. But what are some of the things that God uses to make us humble? You have your things. I have my things. I think I get humbled more because I'm speaking in front of people all the time and, and, and sometimes I have a foot in mouth uh, condition and uh, you, you, you say things and you try to backtrack. But you know what? As I look back, I, I realize, Lord, you're using, you're using all these little things uh, to, to shape us, mold us. And, and maybe even this week, there's been something in your life you didn't like. But yet God can use that. He can redeem it. He can redeem it. Uh, I've often said with the Lord, nothing, nothing is wasted. There isn't any situations or trials or anything that comes into our life. They're not wasted. He's, he's working his eternal uh, purpose of shaping and molding. Uh, you know, you talk about the school of the Holy Spirit. You can't get that in a classroom. You can't get that in a classroom. That, that comes by just walking with him, yielding your life to him, obeying him and trusting him, and simply knowing what he is doing. So verse 8, I indeed baptize you with water. Again, John saying, I'm just a water boy. But on the other hand, He'll baptize you with his Holy Spirit. Let me ask you this. Are you sure, are you certain that the Holy Spirit's in your life? That's important. Because I think a lot of times folks go to church uh, and do certain things 
where they feel like maybe I, I signed a card, I went forward at a Billy Graham crusade, I, I stood up in church, you know, I got prayer. But do you have the Holy Spirit in your life? Because if you do, you'll know it. There, there's, a, there's a transforming power of God that comes in. It begins to change you from the inside out. Because a lot of religions just change the outside, right? You know, cut your hair. Be, be, be modest in your clothing. And not, not that that's wrong. But, but the changes that are prompted in our lives come from the Spirit of God using the Word of God, you know, speaking to our hearts, speaking to our life, showing us where we need to change, showing us where the things we need to let go of, showing us where we need to obey. You know, make sure that the Holy Spirit is in your life because without Him, there's no change. There will be no change, you know. Uh, there might be resolutions to change. I remember before I came to Christ, I had, uh, January would come, I'd make a, a resolution. I remember one time I wanted to quit smoking. I don't think it lasted two weeks. And I went from cigarettes to tipperillos and a pipe and uh, just, just trying to trying to change. And, you know, I, I've seen people, I've talked to people that have had a drug habit of hundreds of dollars a day. And they came to Christ and he just healed them. Pow. Bingo. You're healed. He can do that. He, did, he changes us internally, which changes basically the whole direction and the trajectory of our lives. And also, too, I think as a believer, have you ever asked the Lord to just fill you up afresh? You know, he wants to do that. Over in uh, Luke chapter 11, uh, Jesus is using an illustration there in chapter 11 uh, of a guy who comes at night and he has a need. And the idea there is the whole concept of prayer. We come to the Lord um, and he's coming to his neighbor for bread. And, uh, he's, and, and the guy that's in bed saying, go away, you know, it's midnight and leave me alone kind of a thing. And sometimes it seems like God's like that. Like we're praying and we're asking the Lord to work and it's like, Lord, why aren't you answering? But it's kind of interesting in Luke chapter 11, uh, one of the principles that comes out in this section here is persistence. There needs to be persistence. But in verse 9 of Luke 11, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it to you. Jesus said, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, it will be opened to you. Uh, the um, Amplified Bible kind of picks up the Greek, uh, the tense in the Greek. It's a continual tense. And so in the Greek it would be ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. He says, for whoever asks receives. Whoever seeks finds and, and to uh, him who knocks it will be opened. And if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will you give him a stone? And if he asks for a fish, will you give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will you offer him a scorpion? Well, obviously not. But if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And again, that was the point of that. That was the teaching of that whole thing. And it's, it's, it's also, it, it, it's a teaching on prayer. But he says here six, yeah, six times. <laughs> Got to add that one. Ask. 
We find that in the text six different times. If we need to be filled, if we sense that we're empty, or maybe we're struggling, or maybe we're getting short of spirit and our tempers are coming out, we need to ask, Lord, I need to be, uh, you know what? It, it's probably one of the continual prayers of my life. <laughs> Lord, I, want to be, I need to be filled. Because when he comes in, that's the power of God within our lives. And it's the power that will be meted out to us according to the need. I believe God can give us the power to just tolerate situations. To love certain people that are unlovable. Think whatever the need is of the moment that he is there to do that. Now in verse 9, it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting in the spirit, descending upon him like a dove. And then a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So again, we have this water baptism, um, even Jesus. And that's why I think too, you know, it's important for us to obey the scripture. Scripture encourages us to, to get baptized. Uh, now, Jesus, if anybody never needed to be baptized, it was him, okay, because he never sinned. But again, he was, he was illustrating it. He was setting an example for you and I. Uh, and again, re, uh, baptism, basically what it represents here is a, is a, is a repentance from sin, uh, a turning from sin, uh, turning to God, a new life. Uh, it's identification with the Lord and with his people. I think also, too, that when a person... When we do things, because that's a public display, like witnessing, it's, it's a public thing. It's easy to do, you know, those internal quiet things, you know, those personal things, you know, before you and the Lord is fine, okay? But there are things that God calls us to do, like baptism. And when a person does that, I think what, ha what, I think what keeps a person from doing that is oftentimes the fear of man. But that's why we do it. We, we do it to, we're identifying with Jesus. And that's why we try to, we, we attempt to do it in public. Um, we can't do it at the park anymore. We used to be able to do it at North Ponds. Uh, somebody drowned there. Um, we were doing it at Pulteneyville and things closed down there in Pulteneyville. Uh, we're at Casey Park and now someone drowned there. So we're looking for a place where we can, where we can do that. Uh, and make a public, you know, announcement, if you will, identification with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because, you know, it, it strengthens our faith. And it frees us from the fear of man. If God tells you, if, if he puts it on your heart and impresses upon you to go witness to someone, he's helping you to get free from something. Because so often we're concerned, oh, what will people think? You know, what will they say? Oh, no, I'm one of those crazy Christians now. Well, if you are, you are. You are one of those crazy Christians uh, but as we take that step of faith and obedience, how God wonderfully works within us, and he frees us. And so we find this uh, in the other Gospels as well. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Even though sometimes, often we can't please ourselves, but how, we can please Almighty God by faith. By trusting him. Amazing. Almighty God is pleased. And here again was the perfect, the beloved son the one who has come into our lives. 
and bringing all that he represents. Now, what is interesting as we look at the last few verses here is we move from recognition of my beloved son to being driven by the Spirit into the wilderness. It seems like a disconnect, doesn't it? It just seems like, well, how do, we, how do we reconcile that? How do we get from, you're my beloved son, all of a sudden the Spirit of God is driving him into the wilderness and into the desert. And I think, again, we, we struggle with that. But I think that he simply does it for our sakes. Because we find that he goes into the desert. He's tempted for 40 days, facing off of the devil. We see the temptations in Matthew and Luke's gospel. We see them in detail. But I think this is what the Lord is showing us. That a spirit-filled person who has the word of God can defeat anything the devil will throw at you. Because Jesus defeats him not with his deity. That's not used when you look at the accounts in Luke 4 Matthew 4. All he uses very simply is the word of God. So whatever temptation might be going on in your life or whatever temptation you will face, that's why it's important. And I, and I love the scriptures that Jesus uses. He uses three scriptures, sort of, uh, you know, just scriptures out of Deuteronomy. Now, if I was going to pick some scriptures, I probably wouldn't pick them there. But you know something? You're going to find out wherever you're reading the Bible when you are tempted, he's going to equip you for, with something right from that portion of Scripture. Man, the devil is so much smarter than you and me. But when you and I are equipped with the Spirit of God and the Word of God, he's no match for you. That's why at the end of the temptation, Jesus said, Satan, be gone. You need the Word of God but also to you need the blessed power of the Holy Spirit within your life. And the way that happens is, you know what? You ask Him. You ask Him. You, you open up your life and say, Lord, I need to be, well, either I need to be saved or I need to be filled. Lord, fill me afresh with the blessed Holy Spirit because you need power, you need purity, and you need the purpose of the Holy Spirit and what he can do within your life. He wants to guide your life. But it's very important that we open up our lives and ask him. So I'm going to close there. And uh, before we do, before we pray, I would like to pray for anyone who feels they either need the Holy Spirit in their life or they simply need a fresh filling. If you've been struggling lately, that's an indicator. Maybe wrestling with some issue, a relational problem. You need His help. He has power for whatever you and I have to face. So before I pray, I'm going to ask you, if you wish that, we're going to, we'll ask together. I want to have you stand up. I want to pray for you.
Father, I so thank you for each and every one is asking you, Lord, for that very life from on high, the life of God. Lord, we thank you that you so desire and long to give us your spirit. And Lord, your spirit is a Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you that there is no power like that power. It's clean power. It's pure. It's beautiful. It's gentle. Your Holy Spirit's like a dove. And Father, I pray that as, Lord, each one of us has stood up for a reason, you know what that reason is. You know the issues of our lives. You know the things that, Lord, we face off with, the things that we struggle Lord, you know our failures and our defeats. You know all these things about us. Lord, you're our God. And we look to you afresh, Lord, that you might pour, Father, I pray, into us. I pray if there's anything there that's filling the vessel, Lord, we give it to you now. Lord, forgive, Father, I pray. Forgive our sins. And Lord, I pray that in a fresh way, you'd give us a new beginning, new power, new purity. Lord, new new purpose within our lives, within our hearts. Lord, there may be relationships or difficult people that we have to deal with. And instead of getting frustrated or angry or whatever the case may be, Lord, grant to us, I pray, Father, that love of Christ. Lord, you love people. You love people, all kinds of different people. And Lord, we pray that that grace of God would be within our hearts. We see so many violent reactions, Lord, in our culture and in our society. And Lord, we pray that our reaction, our response, Lord, would be, Lord, would, would, would line up with your purpose for our life. That we would be patient, we'd be kind, that we'd be praying for people. Lord, we'd be reaching out to people. So many, Lord, in our, in our society, Lord, just this week that are grieving the loss of a loved one. We pray for them, Lord. We pray that somehow that you would send, Lord, your spirit, Lord, through your people to love on them, to comfort them, and to, Lord, be able to point them to you because only you, Lord, can heal their hearts. And so, Father, We look to you today. I pray for your people. I pray you'd go with them. And Lord, we can stand here now, but we need power when we walk out that door. We need power, Lord, to go back to some of the situations where we have to go back to. And I pray that, Lord, you would equip us in that way. That you'd fill us, Lord, to overflowing. That you'd be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.